The scripture lesson for this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Listen for the word of God. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, He asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're all here this morning for the most part because of Jesus. At least I hope that's the, way, the reason you're here. Each of us can give testimony as to when we met Jesus for the first time. For most, if not all of us, someone introduced Jesus to us. So the first question Jesus posed to his disciples in this morning's reading from the Gospel of Mark, who do people say that I am? reminds me of how we might be asked to share with others uh, how we were first introduced to Jesus. Now, someone else told us about Jesus. Sunday school teacher, minister, parents, friends, youth leader. For me, that someone was Lorna Logan at the Presbyterian Church in Chinatown. Who do people say that I am? Dutifully, the disciples answered Jesus, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. 
they were all good and even correct answers. Jesus didn't have a problem with any of these answers. There was not a problem until the follow-up question which Jesus posed. But who do you say that I am? It's one thing to quote others, to quote what others taught you, what your teachers, ministers, seminary professors taught you. You can say all you want. Quote others all that you want. Nothing's at stake. But who do you say Jesus is to you? Now, can't you just picture Peter, that hyperactive student, anxious to please the teacher, blurting out the correct answer, the answer he knows that the teacher wants to hear? Most good teachers can see right through all that, see right through the good and conscientious student who does her homework, studies hard every night, comes to class prepared, asks for additional assignments for extra credit, ready to ace any and all quizzes and exams that the teacher can throw at him. When I taught at San Francisco Theological Seminary, I found that my best students in the classroom did not necessarily make the best pastors. I found them quick to put down slower students in their competitiveness. It was not the subject matter that they cared about. It was that they needed to make themselves look better than others at the expense of their classmates who were not as smart or not as sharp. Now, what happens next is very interesting. According to the text, Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Why would a teacher do that? Was there something wrong with Peter's answer? Peter didn't think so. In fact, Peter got into an argument with Jesus about the answer that he gave him. The gospel uses the word rebuke to describe the argument between Peter and Jesus. Rebuke is a very strong and harsh word. It described not just an argument, but rather a fierce, angry shouting match. They're yelling at each other. It is so fierce that Jesus finally tells Peter to shut up. Get behind me, Satan. This incredible text is far better suited for a Bible study than a sermon. I would love to sit in a circle with each of you and have a discussion of this text, and I would begin by asking, well, who introduced you to Jesus, and what were you taught about who Jesus was? And then, of course, I would follow up with this question. But who do you say Jesus is to you? Alas, I was invited to preach this morning and not to lead a Bible study. So now it's time for me to begin my sermon. I have to tell you that this is the longest introduction I've ever written for a sermon. (laughs) Don't worry, this will not be my longest sermon I've ever preached. 
Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In recent months, I read, I finished reading one of the most profound and provocative books I have read in a long time. The book was Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth by Riza Aslan. A biblical scholar, Aslan says that in the end there are only two hard historical facts about Jesus of Nazareth upon which we can confidently rely. The first is that Jesus was a Jew who led a popular Jewish movement in Palestine at the beginning of the first century in the Christian era. The second is that Rome crucified him for doing so. If these are the only two historical facts we can be confident about, what about everything else we've been taught about Jesus? How did Jesus get from being a revolutionary Jewish nationalist into a peaceful spiritual leader? Furthermore, how did Jesus become the Son of God, our Lord and Savior? I believe this morning's text from the Gospel of Mark can help shed some light on this question. So let's get back to Peter's answer. You are the Messiah. In that particular time and place, that was a very good answer. Roman soldiers were the occupying forces enforcing the rule of Rome and their power was enhanced by the collaboration of the wealthy class of Jews. So in that time, there were many attempts at overthrowing the rule of Rome. Jesus was not the first. Rather, he was following in the line of previous messiahs who led unsuccessful military revolts against their oppressive oppressive Roman soldiers so that the rallying cry of the Jewish patriots was, take up your swords. Jesus shocked his disciples as their Messiah. His command was, take up your cross. Remember, the cross was not a piece of jewelry in first century Palestine. The cross meant crucifixion. The cross meant the vicious form of capital punishment reserved by imperial Rome for political dissidents. Peter and Jesus were as far apart as they could be, going in opposite directions. It's like the unforgettable story of the time the Presbyterian executive from San Francisco 
boarded a plane for a meeting in New York City where the denominational headquarters were housed at 475 Riverside Drive. At that time, it was called the God Box because all the mainline denominations had their offices there. So when he got off the plane, he found himself in Hawaii. Go figure. <laughs> Opposite directions. Well, you know, I'm thankful to Peter. He says things that I am, I think about, but I would never say aloud. And I think Peter speaks for all of us. I can easily talk the talk, but not necessarily walk the walk. When I was in seminary, I participated in the Selma March. Now, it was dangerous, and it was a brave thing to do. But the danger my classmates and I experienced was nothing compared to the handful of marchers who were attacked by police batons and dogs and high-pressure spray from hoses on Bloody Sunday. Because these first marchers put their lives on the line and took up the cross, the conscience of the country was aroused, resulting in the Selma March. We are not members of the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, who were shot and killed in a prayer meeting. I'm reminded of a small group of black people who live in Soweto, South Africa, together with a small group of white people from Johannesburg, forming a church in Soweto. They worship together, seeking rec reconciliation. The blacks and the whites who started this congregation did this two years before institutionalized apartheid ended, which means they took up the cross conscious of the fact that they might have paid with their lives in forming this congregation. Back to Jesus' question. But who do you say that I am? Jesus is not asking us to answer him just with our words. He is asking us to answer him with our lives. Now, I don't want you to think that unless our lives are in danger, that, not, that we're not being faithful followers of Jesus on our journey of faith. That's not what I'm saying. I do want you to think of cross-bearing as making your commitment to Jesus with your words and deeds as your first and foremost commitment. Let your, make it the commitment that surpasses all other commitments. Let your commitment to Jesus inform and guide you in all the other commitments you make with your life, to your spouse, to your companion, to your family, to your friends, to your career, to your, your volunteer work, to your play. William Willimon who was the former dean of the chapel at Duke University, tells of the occasion when a representative from Teach America visited the Duke campus 
on a recruitment trip. Teach America tries to recruit this nation's most talented college graduates to go into some of the nation's worst public schools. It is Teach America's method of transforming our schools into something better. And so the representative stood up in front of a large group of Duke students and said to them, I can tell by looking at you that I've probably come to the wrong place. Somebody told me that this is a BMW campus. And I can believe it looking at you. Just looking at you, I can tell that you're all a success. Why would you all be on this campus if you're not successful? You're not going on to successful careers on Madison Avenue or Wall Street. And yet here I stand, hoping to talking somebody into giving away your life in the toughest job you ever have. I'm looking for people to go into the hollows of West Virginia, into the ghettos of South Los Angeles to teach in some of the most difficult schools in the world. Last year, two of our students, two of our teachers were killed while on a job. And I can tell just by looking at you that none of you are interested in that. So go on to law school or whatever successful thing you're planning to do. But if by chance, just some of you happen to be interested, I've got these brochures here for you to tell about Teach America. Meeting's over. With that, the whole group of students stood up, pushed themselves into the aisle, shoved each other aside, ran down to the front of the aisle, and fought over those brochures. And Willimon then had this to say. I learned an important insight that people want something more out of life than even happiness. People want to be part of a journey. People want to be part of a project greater than their lives. An old pastor lamented that he had too many stillborn Christians in his congregation. And what he meant by that were people who had been born again, who had taken the first steps of faith, but who never seemed to get around to the next steps. They don't seem to grow past their birth. The book of Acts says that the first Christians were given the name The Way. That's a good name. To be a disciple means to be someone who is following Jesus along the way, to be traveling with Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, he tells a story of Jesus as someone who seemed in a hurry going somewhere. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words is immediately. Mark says that Jesus did that, and then immediately Jesus went on somewhere else. And so the image you get of Jesus' followers, his disciples, and Mark is a group of people who are always breathlessly trying to catch up, always just one or more steps behind Jesus as he moves on somewhere else. Discipleship is following Jesus on a journey without ever knowing exactly who he is 
or precisely where he's going. Following Jesus is not having all the answers and not or being clear and straight about what you're supposed to believe. Following Jesus is the adventure, tagging along behind Jesus, breathlessly trying to catch up, being surprised throughout the journey. Several weeks ago, I went, on, I went to the screening of the documentary film Lloyd and Marion, produced and directed by the Reverend Amelia Chua, who is a United Methodist pastor. Now in their 80s, Lloyd and Marion Wake were among the Japanese-American families who were exiled in the internment camps. When they emerged from the camps, they began a lifelong quest for justice and equality for all of God's children. The Reverend Lloyd Wake is now retired from his many years as a United Methodist pastor, including many years on the staff of Glide Memorial Methodist Church in San Francisco. And throughout his ministry, Lloyd was on the front lines of community organization and advocating for justice. Following the screening, during the question and answer, Lloyd was asked, how do you feel today about the terrible injustice of the internment camp experience? And Lloyd's answer was, you have to forgive. You have to forgive in order to move forward on the path of justice and reconciliation. You forgive. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The answer Jesus wants is not in your words, but in your life. So on this World Communion Sunday, as you are invited to come to the, to the table of our Lord and Savior, may you embrace these words. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Let us pray. You ask each of us, O God, through Jesus, who do you say that I am? And you invite us to follow you, not just with our words, but with our lives, as we join with you on your journey of life, a journey which will take us into unknown destinations, a journey which will take us through joys and sorrows, it will take us through dangerous places, and yet we follow you knowing that you are with us always. We give thanks, O oh God, for the life that we can share with you. 
for the life to be in, of being in community with you, the body of Christ, your church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.